Well, good morning. Don't sound so excited today. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, if you want to go ahead and find Haggai chapter 1, uh, we'll be in Haggai chapter 1. Um, most of you probably don't know this, but when I was much younger than I am today, when I, I, I loved to read everything. Anything I could get my hands on, I read. Cereal boxes, books, history books. I think I read most of Dickens before middle school, so... <laughs> Just really like to read a lot. Um, but my grandma had lots of books in her basement uh, from the 50s, and a lot of little books. And one of my favorites that I read over and over again was Kids Say the Darndest Things. Art Linkletter? If you're younger, you don't have a clue who I'm talking about. Uh, but I actually have a copy of it. It's really good costing only 35 cents. So I encourage you to get this because it's really funny. Um, and I say that because the kids, they always had something funny to say to adults. They always had some just off-the-wall response. And I, and I want to talk about this because kids have said some pretty funny things in church with adults. And I want to share a couple of those with you this morning. Um, after church on a Sunday morning, a young boy, he told his mom, he goes, Mom, I'm going to be a preacher when I grow up. And she goes, well, that's great. I'm glad you want to be a preacher. That'll be wonderful. Why did you decide to do that? And the little boy said, well, Mom, if I have to go to church on Sunday anyway, I'd rather be up there yelling at people than sitting and listening. Another Sunday morning, the pastor, he saw, he saw little Alex staring up at a large plaque in the foyer of the church, and it had a list of names with American flags on each side. And he went up to little Alex, and he, and he said, how are you, Alex? How are you doing today? He goes, good morning, pastor. And he's just looking at that plaque and all the names, and he said, pastor, what is this? And he said, well, that's the memorial to all the men and women who have given their lives who've died in the service. And he just sat there for a minute, really silent. And then he finally said, Pastor, which service, the 8.30 or the 11? <laughs> in a Sunday school class, the Sunday school teacher asked the children, does anybody know what Jesus' mom's name was? And a little girl, I know who it is. It's Mary. And she goes, That's, you're right. Does anybody know what his dad's name was? And a little boy, his hand shot up as quick as it could be. He goes, his name was Verge. And the teacher was like, Verge? Who, who, wh what are you talking about? Who's Verge? He goes, well, you know, they're always talking about, the, about Verge and Mary. Last one, a Sunday school teacher uh, asked the children on the way to the church service, why is it so important that we are quiet in church? And one bright little girl replied, it's because people are sleeping. <laughs> and I hate to say this, but that may be more truthful and honest than we want to admit or realize. People are sleeping in churches today. And just like Haggai was called to preach to these people, to share a message from God on wakening them up from their slumbers, from their inactivity concerning his house, today people are still called to preach and to share his message with people who've fallen asleep or either gotten too lazy 
and are obedient to even do what His Word tells us. I had a professor tell me that a sermon could be known as 30 minutes to wake the dead. And that really, that's really true. It's a daunting task to preach sometimes, but sometimes you don't have any choice in the matter, and that's exactly why Haggai is preaching to the people. God called him into this. God told him, Haggai, do this. It wasn't his idea. I'm sure he had a million other things he would rather do than go out and tell these people that you're lazy Tell them something they didn't want to hear. Wake them up and say, you are living outside of God's will. But he did it. Now, this is our third week in the book of Haggai. And during that first week, we learned just one important lesson, that we can make excuses or we can make progress, but we cannot make both. We can try, but it's not going to happen. It's, if we're going to move forward as a church, as, as just as individual believers, we need to quit making excuses and start working to build his kingdom. Because if we keep making excuses, he'll find someone else to do it. He'll find another church that will be faithful. He'll find another Christian who will do what he asks. He'll find somebody else. Last week, we saw that we needed to reflect on our ways, that we need to consider our ways, what we're doing, and see what's keeping us from serving him faithfully. And we need to realize the biggest problem is normally us, because we, we, we try to find satisfaction in anything except God, and we will never find true satisfaction anywhere else. But ultimately, we needed to react, because Far too often, we let everything else take priority over his word and his will, and we just give him that little slice of our life instead of the whole pie. And if we don't react, if we don't do something, maybe we've not ever truly surrendered to him in the first place. But this morning, I want us to see how the people reacted to Haggai's message, the message that Haggai preached because they did react and I want us to see how that plays out for us today. So let's pray. We'll read our text, and we'll see what God tells us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we have the opportunity to worship together in this place, that we can uh, sing your praises and offer you ourselves in worship. And Lord, I just pray that as we see the response of the people, after they were convicted by Haggai's preaching, how they decided to be faithful to you. And I want us to understand that we can be faithful as well, that you can use us, that, that you can use us to do just incredible things to help build your kingdom and draw others into a relationship with your son, Jesus. Father, I ask that you bless this time. Allow us to hear your word and respond to it the way that you desire. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. 
And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So the first thing I want us to look at this morning is their response. Let's look at their response. Haggai's preaching actually moved the people, the leaders, and the rest of the remnant to respond. So they hear his word and obey. They hear and obey. In in verse 8, God was very specific on what he wanted them to do. He had said, go up on the hills, bring wood down, and build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. See, God takes great pleasure when we treasure him, when we value him, when we obey what he says. I I love how verse 12 begins. It says, then. That's a good word in scripture. It says that they, as a result of what they heard, as a result of hearing God's word shared with them, then Zerubbabel, Joshua, with all the remnant, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. It reminds me of the words of a great hymn, an old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there is no other way. And I want to share this little truth with you. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. If you put off knowing what you need to do or what God has called you to do, you are being disobedient to him. And if you're drifting, if you want to get back, if you want to come Back to him, you need to practice immediate obedience. See, your good intentions, they don't matter. Only obedience matters. Is there something that that you've not done that you know God wants you to do? 1 Samuel chapter 15 reminds us that even religious ritual is not as important as obedience. It says to obey is better than sacrifice. Someone has even put it this way, we have only one day, we only have one day to follow God, and it's not yesterday, because yesterday's gone, and it's not tomorrow, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. The only day that we have to obey is today. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 puts it this way, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness. Back in verse 2, they were called these people. He's saying, these people, I don't even know who they are. And now he's calling them a remnant. The first term that he used to, to talk about them shows that there is distance between them. Between them and their relationship. In the second word, it shows that they weren't rejected. They were being redirected to follow him. They were disciplined by God to get back where they needed to be. And the word remnant, it just refers to the rest, a remainder or a survivor. And God always has a remnant, even if it's a small group. See, God, he is committed to his people. He is committed to us even if we seem insignificant in the eyes of others. Joseph knew why he was in Egypt. In in Genesis chapter 45, it says, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And sometimes, 
Sometimes when we stray, when we wander away from God, when we get outside of His will, we, th- we think we have to make our way back to Him, come back to Him by performing some act or earning His acceptance. And I want you to listen. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove that you're trustworthy. You just need to trust His trustworthiness. And if you feel like you're miles away from God, if you feel like I am just so far away, all it takes is one step to get back. Just one step. They had drifted, and they had disobeyed God for 16 years. But all they had to do was repent. All they had to do was change their direction, and their relationship with God was immediately restored. Think about the prodigal son. When he realized his sin and he found himself living off pig slop and thinking, boy, I am living the dream. When he finally realized his circumstances, he turned around and made his way home. And he prepared a speech filled with promises of performance. I'm just going to be a better kid. Just let me be a servant for you. Let me just... But he didn't know. That his father was waiting for him. And when his father saw his son, he came running to him, embraced him, and welcomed him home. Understand today that the father, he is waiting for you with open arms. And I love the promise found in Joel chapter 2 verse 25. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. God's telling his people, I am going to give back those wasted years, those years that you were disobedient. I am going to use you. Just come back. I guess the only question we need to ask ourselves today is, am I one of God's remnant today? It's never too late to do what's right as long as we keep putting God first in our lives. So they heard and they obeyed, and then they fear and don't delay. They, they feared and didn't delay. Verse 12, it ends with, and the people, they feared the Lord. And, and while the word fear, it means to, to revere, it also means to be frightened. It, it literally it means to be afraid in the presence of. And the idea of fearing God is to have such a holy sense of all in His presence, such a sense of who He is and what He's capable of, that we are, are just led to this reverential trust. Just like us, they needed to have the fear of God put into their lives. Psalm chapter 2, verse 11, it says, the fear, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. There was a recent study done by the Barna Group, and they found that almost 60% of Christians aged 15 to 29 have distanced themselves from active involvement in the church. And, and that statistic, it's not new, but the reason why that is happening, why that's occurred, has been spelled out by Dave Kinneman, who was the president of Barnard Group. He says that young people find churches shallow. 
They think that we're shallow. They tell us that Christianity has become so hip, so watered down, so about entertainment, and they're looking for something with more substance. But you know what's interesting to me? It's interesting to me that when churches, when they preach the, the word, when they preach it faithfully and without compromise, people are drawn to the Lord. That's how it's always been. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 tells us, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Understand that churches that are filled with fluff, with stale ritual, they are being abandoned. And I like what Matthew Henry said. He said, a holy fear of God will have a great influence upon our obedience to him. If we fear him not, we will not serve him. I want you to notice the order of what happened with these people, how they responded. When we hear and we obey, when we fear and don't delay, God goes to work. Jesus taught that same thing when he said in John 7, 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. And that's because when we obey, when we are faithful, when we are doing what we're called to do, he's going to reveal more of his will for our lives. And after the people responded, God gave them some reassurance God gave them some reassurance when they heard and they feared. God showed them that he was near them. And when we start doing things God's way, he'll make a way for us to work. So let's look at the first part of his reassurance. And we see that his presence is with them. His presence is with them. Verse 13, it says, And Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. Haggai, he wasn't giving his own thoughts. He wasn't sharing his own opinions. He was simply the human instrument that God was using and sharing his message through. And God says, I am with you. I am with you. The God of angel armies, he promises to be near us when we hear him and when we fear him. Think of it, when Moses, when he didn't think he was capable, when God said, I want you to go and I want you to take my people out of Egypt, I want you to go, and, and Moses is like, I can't do that, I'm too old, I can't speak, i got a speech impediment, you can't use me, find somebody else. And God told him, but I will be with you. God speaking through the Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When Jesus gave the great commission where he told us to go out and make disciples of all nations, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the apostle Paul would write in Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God's not only with them, he's awakening them. His power awakens them. 
And we see that in verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And the people, what they did is they moved from this apathy, this indifference, this laziness, and, and there was an awakening. There was a revival. And God moves within us so that we can move forward. And that word stirring, it means to wake up a sleepy person so that they're alert and they're ready for action. And it reminds me of an old Keith Green song. Do you know who he was? He was an early contemporary Christian artist from the 70s, um, and he wrote a song called Asleep in the Light. And some of the lyrics were, you close your eyes and pretend the job's done. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. That'd be a rough one to sing in church, wouldn't it? <laughs> but the Apostle Paul, he pulls all of this together in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, therefore, my beloved, you're my people, as you have always obeyed. So now, not only as in my presence, just because you were well behaved when I was around, you've been much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I guess we could say it kind of like this. When God guides us, he also provides for us. God's work, understand this, God's work ultimately depends on God. It doesn't depend on you. When he gives the orders, he gives us the energy, and he will work out his will and his way for his pleasure and glory. We've seen their response. We've seen God's assurance. And finally, what we see is the result. We need to look at the result. And the order, it's important. Knowing that God is with us, it gives us great comfort. Then his power, it awakens us so that we can get to work serving. After the spirits are stirred, in verse 14 it tells us, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They came to this place that had been destroyed, where the ruins were a reminder of, of what the enemy had done and where they had failed God in the past. It was no doubt a place of great anxiety, much like Ground Zero is for Americans in the aftermath of 9-11. And that's why they needed a fresh stirring from God. God's workers, they went from being delayed to being disciplined to being deployed for service. God's encouragement, it leads us to empowerment. But understand there's two, two extremes that we need to avoid in this. One is to experience a stirring and not do anything about it. That's bad. When God tells you to do something and he's stirring you up and he's encouraging you to do something, if you don't do anything, that's bad. And the second one is that when we try to serve in our own strength, when there's not been a stirring from the Spirit. Understand that the stirring of the Spirit must lead to service. God's work depends on the Spirit. It, 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 it's just not enough to be stirred emotionally and feel like, oh gosh, i got to start serving more because God expects me to. It's not about that emotional response. 
we have to be stirred into action. And it's not time for more excuses. We need a good stirring, not just from God, but from each other. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The message from God, it was brief. He says, I am with you. I've got this. But it was extremely powerful in stirring the people, stirring up their passion, their enthusiasm, their eagerness. And I'm going to use a Bible word, zeal, the zeal of the people. And it all happened in 23 days. From the first day of the month to the 24th day of the month, 23 days, just over three weeks. That's all it took. That's how quickly situations can change when the Spirit of God is present. 23 days. As a Christian, we can be excused a lot of things. A lack of intellectual ability, the lack of some great amazing gift, the lack of fluency in speaking, or the lack of a great talent. But understand that no Christian not one of us can be excused the lack of zeal for the purposes of God because that is one that depends on you. And without zeal, something vital is missing in someone's spiritual experience. When Jesus, when he drove the money changers out of the temple, this is what he said in John chapter 2, verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And for most of us, we can be consumed by zeal for so many different things in our life. We can be consumed with zeal for our career, for a hobby, our homes, our families, sports. But what we really need, what we really need is for the Holy Spirit to stir up our spirit with an all-consuming zeal for His work in the gospel of Jesus. It's time for us to realize, to reflect, and to react. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's stirring. And it's time for us to get to work and serve like never before. We need to hear and we need to get in gear. And we can do that because we know that He's with us, that He is for us. The good news of the book of Haggai is that the people, they responded to him. And if you've read through some of the other prophets, that didn't happen very often where people actually did what the prophet told them to do. And I find that encouraging. When they repented and they rededicated themselves, revival broke out. This morning... As the worship team comes, is God stirring up your life? Is, is He stirring you into action, into service? Are you lacking that zeal for His kingdom? Because He wants us to be His people and to serve Him faithfully. 23 days. Think of that. Everything changed in just over three weeks. God's people, they went from being just completely disobedient, 
only concerned with themselves to surrendering their lives to God and saying, we're going to put you first again. We've dropped the ball. We've gotten off task. But today, that changes. 23 days. God can do that in our lives. He can change us with a word. Maybe he's stirring you because you've never repented, that you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Maybe he's calling you to surrender to his son today, to admit that you're a sinner, to believe that Christ, that he died for your sins. Maybe you need to confess your faith in him today. Maybe God's stirring you into service today because there's a lot of needs and God has gifted you for that. He's equipped you to serve Him. And He's gifted you to do that. Maybe God is stirring your life up with, with conflict or disruptions or sickness because you've tried to find satisfaction in something besides Him. And you're struggling today. Just like that prodigal, it just took one step. God's always waiting with open arms to take us back, to use us, to forgive us, and be part of his family. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning, and I encourage you, if your life is getting stirred up, maybe you've fallen asleep a little bit, and you're just coasting. God says, that's not what I want for your life. He doesn't want it in my life, in your life, or the life of this church. He wants us to be faithful. 23 days, and everything changed. And God can do it with the snap of his fingers. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing, and I encourage you. If you need to respond, if you just need to say, Lord, I know you're stirring me, and I don't know what for. Take that to him and ask him. Let me pray, and we'll sing. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the message of Haggai. Thank you that the people responded to the correction that they faced. That, Lord, that they surrendered to you. And they did finish and complete your work. It was the reason they were there. And maybe we need a reminder today that, that we're here for the same purpose, to serve you. Not to build a temple, but to build your kingdom. And Lord, you do that one soul, one person at a time. Help us be faithful in, in achieving your work in this world, that we can see lives changed, you glorified, and just things change. Stir us so that we serve. Lord, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Thank you for, for, for what he did for us on that Roman cross. And thank you so much that we don't have to earn our forgiveness, that we don't have to perform something. But just knowing your son is enough. Thank you so much for that. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.